Welcome to Why Gifts Matter from the Core Gift Institute, a series of conversations spanning helping professions, spiritual traditions, and community encouragers who believe that knowing your gifts and giving them is an essential part of living a full life and creating healthy communities. Find out more about us at www.coregift.org. Hi, I'm Bruce Anderson from the Core Gift Institute. In this episode of Why Gifts Matter, we're talking with Michael McKenzie. He currently works at Montage Support Services in Toronto, Canada, helping people who use their supports find meaningful career paths. Having experienced an unusual number of career twists and turns himself, he's very adept at helping people see the path they are on and the gifts they want to bring. Known for a keen ability to see the gifts in others, he has story after story in this episode of seeing gifts and helping people find ways to give them in often unexpected venues and situations. He has vivid memories of his own core gift emerging when he was very young. He has one story of being at his great-grandmother's bed and breakfast in the Scottish Highlands. He remembers wandering the inn and walking up and interviewing guests and finding out what they were good at, and then he'd ask them to do that during the evening social hour. I was even known for going up to the guests at seven years old and interviewing them to find out what they were good at, what they liked to do, and then I'd say, right, that's what you're doing tonight. Hmm. And this was, in, this was in the Highlands of Scotland. So huh. like that, that, that um, capacity to see something in people that they can offer to others, I think mm -hmm. was always there. In a very interesting part of our conversation, I asked him how he would respond to someone who didn't believe in gifts, and I was surprised by his answer. Generally speaking, I think people who don't believe in gifts are generally people who have lost some sort of sense of hope. You know, and then so I'd help them by navigating a conversation that leads them to rediscovering what it looks to them when they're at their best or lost in the time moments that are energized or connected to people. Because mm -hmm. I think that helps to reevaluate that they have, in fact, always had something to offer as well as parts in their life where they receive something. Michael really has no limits in his creative thinking about what's possible. And he asks us to stretch our assumptions about both what gifts really are and what work really mean to people who often have life stories of feeling like they don't belong. Get ready for the ride. Michael has a lot to say, and he says it quickly. And he gives us a real window into what happens when we assume everyone is gifted. Let's talk to Michael. So, Michael McKenzie, it's great to talk to you. I've been wanting to talk to you for six months or so now, and I'm glad to finally uh, catch up with you. So, as people can place you and know a little bit about you, why don't you start by telling us uh, where you live and, um, and, uh, and what you're up to a little bit. Okay, so I'm actually in uh, Toronto, Ontario in Canada, and like many people around the world, I am working from home. So my dining table from Monday to Friday has been converted into an at-home office. And my co-worker is my cat these days. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's definitely a new climate in terms of work because my primary role at Montage Support Services, where I am now, is an organization that supports people with disabilities. And having my primary role as engaging them in employment 
has been quite the journey over the last couple of months to decide what climate we're moving into in terms of employment period, as well as engaging people with disabilities in the workforce. Hmm. Yeah, I've heard a lot. Some people say it's a really tough time to get a job, and other people say it's an easy time to get a job. It kind of depends what what uh, what vocation you're you're um, you're pursuing, I guess. So, what have you? Uh, you know, one of the interesting things about you is I know you've done a lot of things in your life, and whenever I, uh, whenever I um, talk to someone who's had a lot of different kinds of jobs, I always think about gifts and the links between them. So, just what tell tell, tell me what different jobs you've had, and then I want to talk to you about those jobs a little bit. Okay, um, so I left high school and went to art college, and that is actually a pivotal moment in discovering my core gift, which we can certainly talk about. So I went from illustration and advertising, which led me to uh, animation and did the Care Bears Children series, was part of that animation network. And that turned out to last a couple of years. And then from that, I went to retail and then I had enough of retail. And then I went back into becoming a pastry chef because I'd always had an affinity with cooking. And part of the program here in Ontario was to get some uh, work experience. So I thought, well, I'll double my chances and apply for places in Scotland and visit family at the same time. So I actually um, was hired at a place called Glen Eagles, uh, which is a major golf course in the world. So if there's any golfers that you know, that's the place to go. And then came back after that and decided, uh, because the working in the hotel was almost like working in Hell's Kitchen before it was Hell's Kitchen was a term. It was a lot of um, uh, attitude and uh, just different aspects of people getting along and things like hierarchy. So it was very much Hell's Kitchen there. So from working as a pastry chef, came back to Canada and then did uh, a stint at a high-end retail store, which led to uh, doing vocational training in a restaurant situation for people who had been through the mental health system and wanted to get back on their feet. And all the while, while I was doing those other jobs, I was actually a volunteer with L'Arche Toronto, which is part of an international federation of communities with people who have disabilities and they live, work and create home with uh, all sorts of uh, people who have come from around the world to work there. And then that led to a job at L'Arche and I was there for almost 18 years doing work and employment development for people who had quite literally been deemed unemployable. Mm. And so that has been the, the main part of my career over the last almost 25 years now. So it's, a, it's an astounding variety of things, an animator and pastry chef and retail and working at L'Arche and working in employment programs. Is there... Um, What's the common link between all of those? If we're if we're sticking to gift theory, the, the things you were attracted to tend to have a similar elements. So, what's the similarity between all of those? I would say that it's, there's definitely a creative aspect of it. There's definitely uh, being in environments where there are different types of people, and the opportunities that come from being around people and being creative. So that so there has been a path. So tell us about you mentioned a core gift. So tell us about your core gift a little bit. Okay, so my core gift 
is discovering opportunities and bringing people together. I offer it by helping others to find points of connection, to identify what they have to teach and learn from each other, and to take risks that lead to change. Uh, uh. So it was interesting though, because I had actually been at one of your core gift uh, workshops over 10 years ago. And so, you know, at that point I'm thinking, yeah, this is kind of nice. It's a, a new way of thinking and it, it certainly aligns with the values that I've known at Larsh and what we really try to find in people. But I'm not sure when I'm gonna use this sort of, uh, this, this gift. So at a point about five or six years ago when I was between jobs, I was shuffling papers and the core gift literally fell out on the floor. It's one of these signs. And so I read it again and, and in talking with really close friends, including John Guido, also from Larsh, said, you know, you can almost use the core gift to rebrand my next steps. And I thought that's a, a very, you know, early 20,000 20, expression of branding yourself. And it's like, maybe I could. Um, so the, the thought of using those skills to develop Making Work Work, which is the program I pitched to uh, Brian Woodman, who's the director of programs at Montage, really fit into what I was doing. And so I've actually got, my core gift is actually on my business card. So I'm seeing it all the time. And when I'm talking to people and introducing the work that I'm going to do with them, it's right there. So that validates core gifts as a, a valid way of expression and finding yourself right there, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, what do you say to uh, skeptics who say, oh, there's not such a thing as a core gift. People have some passions and they like doing things, but this idea that there's a central thread to your life is just a bunch of hooey. I would say that um, generally speaking, I think people who don't believe in gifts are generally people who have lost some sort of sense of hope. You know, and then so I'd help them by navigating a conversation that leads them to rediscovering what it looks to them when they're at their best or lost in the time moments that are energized or connected to people. Because mm -hmm. I think that helps to reevaluate that they have in fact always had something to offer as well as parts in their life where they receive something. Like I really noticed that when I was doing a, a workshop a couple of months ago with marginalized youth, which I hadn't done before. So bringing the model of core gifts to that sector was something that I was really interested in and had to sell it a lot to the coordinators of the program because it was a sort of a rough and tumble youth crowd who didn't really have a belief in anything at that at this point in their life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my experience has been that the um, that working with young people, they're naturally intrigued and interested in this idea of gifts because they're you know they're at that age where they're trying to figure out what they want to do and I and so any pushback that I ever get is always from some kind of organized program um, they want to know if it's an evidence-based practice they want to know if it's religious they want to know all kinds there's all kinds of suspicions around uh, both the value and the usefulness of it but I I don't exactly, care. and I, I felt that when I when I walked into the classroom because it was uh, a woman. I had been I had done another presentation on core gifts um, at a city level here in Toronto, and it was one of the attendees at that presentation who uh, worked at this uh, shelter of, for youth, 
And so she was already on, on board. So it was a question of us getting together and getting her powers that be on board, who were pretty resistant even while I was there. But when I facilitated this workshop, you know, they're, they're really wanting to be back on track, but they're sort of too cool to be there. And, and, you know, they're sitting with arms crossed and on their phones and things like that. And so I, I did raise a question at one point, because um, I, I like the question of, have you ever been acknowledged for your gifts? And when we're talking about strengths and things like that, they're coming from worlds where they've been told, you can't, you'll never, or what's wrong with you? You know, there's, there's little, if any, prospect of hope or change, no point of empathy or understanding, you know, and certainly no awareness that they have something to offer. And what I found amazing, it was my first time working with youth in this context. And given that we're very much an urban city, the, the cross-section of cultures was quite amazing for a group of only 16 people. And there was one uh, teenager, like 1920, from Nigeria, and as the day went on, the, the group was getting more engaged. So he happened to be from Nigeria and reminded us of the Ubuntu philosophy. Do you know that philosophy? Mm -hmm. yeah. Ubuntu. So meaning humanity, I am because we are, because we are, and the universal bond of sharing. And just as the day went on and we were posting the gifts up on the wall, there, there was such a, you know, the term a light switched on. It was pretty amazing. What what caused that slow shift during the course of the day, do you think? Because I think having it been a program, it's very structured. So they were, you know, doing job placements that ne not necessarily had anything to do with anything they were interested in because a lot of the employment programs have a cachet of employers where uh, people are put and, you know, it's like, oh, they didn't work out, but, well, they didn't work out because they didn't have an interest or they didn't have an affinity with that type of work. So then there's the label of unemployable. Mm -hmm. So when they were given a, a, a new way of presenting themselves. So one of the things that I said at the beginning is when you're at an interview and somebody asks, what can you contribute to this organization? you'll not only have an answer to the question, but it'll be written on your resume and you can use it as an interview tactic and it's something that you can go in with great conviction about. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. by, the, by the end of the day when they were posted, there were uh, gifts that were revealed around advocacy and working with uh, marginalized youth and sharing their story because they've lived it so they have something to offer to somebody else rather than getting stuck in a cycle. So I, I left that room with much hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're working at uh, this organization Montage now. So what is what does the idea of gifts have to do with the mission of Montage? At Montage, we intentionally don't create. We don't set out to create a community for people with disabilities. We want to find because we're all over the we're all across the city. So we really want to help people find their own community and interests based on where they live. Mm. So it sounds like there's uh, there's more reciprocity now. It's not you're not just serving other people. You're getting things back, and there's there's more kind of back and forth relational stuff that has to do with gifts than just a one way service support system. At Montage, we're really focusing on what community and full citizenship looks like. So as an agency, we've been really pivotal and really getting to the heart of what people 
want to do not just employment but just what are the aspects in their life that they've had experience in that they can bring forward and use so that's come out of their passions you know whether it's somebody who likes dogs for example that they're not able to keep a pet we've connected them to one of the big dog meet greet and sniff events in the city called uh, wolf stock and montage is a go-to place for volunteer networks and for people who have said, oh, you know, there's no role for for people in this volunteer environment. We've got one one gentleman who's all about Comic Con and all those sorts of things, and he'd been he'd been going as a guest to the event with thousands of people every year, and wanted to volunteer. And we were met with such resistance. It took two years of conversations back and forth to find him a role there. So mm-hmm. in terms of challenging employers and volunteer networks that the people that we're supporting have so much to contribute and that we've got a real presence in the citizenship aspect of of living in a city what's that what do you think the source of the resistance is uh when i first started doing employment it was always around the insurance and is somebody going to have an accident what happens if they do this even even just now it's like people were let go because they might get sick and like they don't have any they're unless they're really vulnerable the chances of them getting sick are just as high or low as any of us provided Mm -hmm. that they're taking precautions and the ppe and all that sort of stuff um, but, but again, because our, we were pivotal with the, the Pan Am Parapan games that were here a couple of years ago that Toronto hosted, and this was before I was at Montage, and I was really challenging the volunteer process, given that they're saying, you know, we've got opportunities for everybody, and when you went on their website to become a volunteer, there were so many obstacles. So because I had some free time, I became a little bit of a boat rocker. <laughs> and challenged them on some of their policies and we we were made we were able to make an impact in that and between uh, montage and another agency we've created over 200 other uh, volunteer positions for that event mm-hmm. so that got That's us notoriety because toronto hosts a lot of events and there's so many different aspects that the people we're supporting are bringing into them that we mm-hmm. get asked back specifically because of what they contributed to how they mm-hmm. contributed so have you worked with, have you done uh, gift interviews or helped people you're serving identify their gifts? What what kind of things do you I've, do related to that? So I've done the core gifts interview with a number of people that we support. I also have done it with our executive director and uh, managers and our planners who are the core of making facilitating networks within the community. They're amazing at that in terms of creating that citizen aspect that I was talking about earlier. So it's interesting with that group of people who are planners, it really validates that, okay, it's really not just a job, it's a vocation. And uh, people, I, I feel people eventually end up in a role because that's where they're meant to be. And you sort mm-hmm. of define parameters of what that role looks like based on what you have to offer, whether you're on board or are aware of the core gifts process or not. But in the conversation of talking to people about it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. when I did the, the most recent core gifts facilitation um, leadership with you, I was worried that my core gift wouldn't be the same because I had done it 10 years ago. And it was pretty darn close. And it's like, yeah, that's that's what I do in, in my personal life as well as in my professional life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one, of the, one of the interesting um, not selling points, but one of the 
the points that really get me thinking is when we talk about gifts being connected to healing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I go back to my personal experience where it was completely around deficiencies. Uh, when I was at our college, they did a process of critiquing. And one of the professors came up to my work, looked at it, and you know, expect, I was expecting feedback. But the one sentence that they said was, you could do this, but you'll always be mediocre. So that one sentence set a truly <laughs> negative tone for how I regarded anything I did from that point on. I was 19. I'm not 19 anymore. And that that um, comment stuck with me for so long. Like the, the feeling of not being or doing enough, knowing that a core gift comes from a place of hurt. It, it compels me to share the story and insight often. Like I go back to that so often because there's, there's a, a Celtic expression that says, heavy is the heart whose story has not been told that I often refer to when I speak at events through, through my work as a navigator of employment or as a resident in family care and hospice. Mm-hmm. And sharing that story about that's how I learned about what I was here to do. And mm-hmm. I believe it's the real accountability once someone's story has been shared with you. Like in the, in the hospice environment, you know, when somebody's at end of life, they're wondering why, what was it, what was it all about sort of thing. And having, and there's been a number of people there in the hospice who have been open to doing the process at the end of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In my role in hospice care, it's spending time with people. And so a lot of healing and hurts come out during conversations there. Um, yeah. But in, in, in the context of my work, it's always a challenge to do the core gifts with somebody who's nonverbal and a lot of people in uh, in our sector because a lot of um, ideas about who they are are projected onto them by others. Uh-huh. There's certain, it's valid to get people who know them best, but really creatively finding ways to ask the questions um, so that the heart of the question is still there, but you're getting the answer that's coming from them. Right. There's one woman who I'm working with who's on the autism spectrum and we had tried, we had attempted the, uh, the core gifts interview and there was so much going on around that she was totally distracted. But since COVID, we were able to continue the conversation by phone and using you know, virtual platforms and things like that and adapting the tools of getting the information, but really handing it over to them. She was amazingly candid and concise in the way she was answering the questions. And we decided that she wanted to do it over a period of time. So we're still meeting on a week to week basis to just do a couple of questions at a time. And I I think the results are going to be quite amazing from her. Whereas there was another gentleman who was very, very vocal, but nonverbal. And his core gift ended up being around helping people to stop and appreciate things. Because if you were on a walk with him, he would grab your arm and bring you over to where the flowers were and point your head down to smell them. Mm-hmm. All these less than subtle cues. And it's like he would force people to slow down. Mm-hmm. And he'd get the, the essence that somebody was moving too fast or, or for him. And you, in the moment, you'd be really appreciative of what he's getting you to do. Yeah, yeah. One gentleman, when we were doing the core gifts interview with regards to employment, he was, uh, he often repeats what you say in terms of, so what you're saying, Bruce, is, so you will have said a sentence and then he repeats it back to you. And 
when we did the, uh, this was a gentleman from L'Arche, and when I did the interview with him, it came out that his core gift was getting to people to really say what, what they wanted to say. Because he would, he would have that capacity to fish for what was at the heart of what you wanted to say. So he does right. it in everyday conversation. And it's part of, people say it's part of his way of processing information. But at the, at the core of what he's trying to do is really getting to people to be really clear about their intention of what they want to say and how they want to say it. Boy, those are two. Those those are two really good examples, Michael, of 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 gifts being being on one hand could be looked at as simple, and on the other hand, looked looked at as profound. Um, just the um, the beauty in those two gifts, and the person's urgency around being seen for those gifts and giving those gifts is. It can be life-changing for someone who has repeated stories of not feeling welcome and valued. Yeah, I think in my work I do a process that I've called discovery that helps people to be mindful of the clues that have always been there because the clues in our own life help us to make decisions as we get older. And so many of the, the people with disabilities and their families are so lost in the system that they totally miss clues that are present. One of the uh, the highlight stories, even in my earliest days of being at Montage, and it was a situation where, no, I didn't go through the process of the core gift interview with this person, but just being with them and finding out the information that they volunteered really set the tone for somebody whose parents really thought he wouldn't do anything. And the story of this young man, Seth, is that um, one of the things I like to do is have somebody give me a tour of their home and what are their roles there? What are, what are they drawn to? Who are the type of people that they were drawn to as kids? So in part of his tour, he was making coffee for me. It's like, oh, his mom thought, oh, thought nothing of it, but he's got the gift of being a good host. He, his mom didn't say, go get and make coffee. But while we were in his room, he was showing me some things and he brought out a journal. And so his place of healing obviously was having been a, a child with cancer at one point in his life. And he kept a journal and in his journal, he would constantly draw pictures or write words like that someday I want to go to sick kids again and then it's like do you want to go because it was uh, a nice atmosphere even though you were sick he was no I want to help other kids with cancer and you know his parents were thinking oh that's that's not a, a likely path for him one of the other clues in his room was that he had lots of children's books of Thomas the engine and for his parents it's like well he shouldn't have those he's 21 and I was thinking, no, he's an uh, expert on children's literature. So he had also commented that he was uh, really um, appreciative of, of the therapeutic clown that was there. So he's, after many conversations, he's now working in the children's library and participates with the therapeutic clown who was working with him when he had been a kid. And so he's where he incredibly wants to be, and he's offering something quite valuable to the kids who are there. Yeah. And yeah. he's been now, he's been there now for six years. Huh. Huh. But it's like how our gifts are revealed. I think the, the in interview process is so valid because it really does put it in, in writing in front of you and helps you navigate towards what the, the essence of it is. But when somebody who 
has a different way of expressing themselves shows you and um, divulges that secret part of themselves, um, it's it's there, you know, so it becomes evident. And then you decide how that should be put in writing if you were to use it in something else. But I've used people's core gifts on their resume and had it incorporated into the interview conversation and they've been hired based on that as opposed uh. to their resume. Uh. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I love what you're saying because I think there's a, you know, there's not, there's an unawareness. Um, I think some people believe that uh, some people who have disabilities are, are so disabled that they don't have any gifts. And I think there's a line in the sand. I mean, either either you believe people have gifts or you believe they don't. I don't, I don't. I don't think there's any middle ground and people like you are really on the leading edge of sharing stories that demonstrate that yes, everybody has gifts and it's more about our ability to put the clues together sometimes than it yeah, is whether or not a person so has right. gifts. And sometimes I get overwhelmed by the desperation that's very prevalent in families accessing developmental services here in Canada. My clock's mm -hmm. gonna go, sorry. <laughs> I'm not in okay. London. I just have a grandfather clock in the living room. Um, but so they're coming to me because, and it's, it's the, when they're using the expression, you're my last hope. It's like, <laughs> you know, it, you don't want to be that. And why should we be that? Because I got very frustrated with the employment agencies who are supposed to be supporting and, and recognizing what people are good at and giving them a sense of, yeah, you can do this. Um, so as an agency, we're very much, uh, committed to finding out the gifts of people and where they mm -hmm. can be used. This gentleman it, it spends a lot of his time in the PATH system, which is an underground network of malls and things like that in the financial district. And he knows his way around the city like nobody, but he's not verbal. Uh, so, so we connected him with the administrator of the PATH system, and then he eventually ended up getting a job at UPS delivery because he knows his way around really well. Mm -hmm. And so for somebody who was deemed unemployable, he got a job there and did excelled in it. And now he's been at this home hardware store for a year because he knows exactly where to put things. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, he's got the gift of direction. And I mean, that sounds so small, but so many of us can use it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you <laughs> so I'm listening to you. You've said four or five examples in the last 10 minutes, practical living examples. And, you know, on the surface, it sounds, it sounds obvious and it sounds simple. So why do you think that the employment, the field of employment in general, uh, doesn't have a common language around gifts? So the, that's a loaded question and observation because the the terminology in the HR world these days is what are the competencies of the person? What's their capacity? Mm -hmm. You know, what what are they learning? What can they contribute? And the competencies. And so there's this checklist of in order to be do in order to do this task, you must have this competency level, which you know is certainly valid, but it doesn't leave the conversation to what is this organization missing that would really benefit the organization? Um, mm. Yet another story was a woman who worked in one of the largest um, law companies in the city. 
And when they moved, they said, oh, we don't have any, any work for her. But as it turned out, she's quite organized and fastidious in the work that she does. So it turned out that everybody in, the, in that whole office, which took over four or five floors, had a box that they never got to, a box of stuff that never got organized. So she went in and she'd, she'd organized everybody's you know, junk box, which, which led to her working a little bit in their supply room eventually. This is over a period of over 16 years. And one of the things that she did in this, she ended up working for Luke, two law companies. And one of them was uh, the model of just the, you know, the booths, the open concept booths. And mm -hmm. you would walk in there and nobody spoke to each other. Nobody was talking. It was very pin dropping environment. One of her jobs was to collect the mail and put them in the pigeonholes, you know, the old pigeonholes for, yeah. for mail. And what she'd do is if you didn't get mail, she'd put a little post-it in the box that would say, sorry, Bruce, no mail today, maybe tomorrow. She'd just do a little handwritten post-it note and stick it in the mailbox. So that became a point of connection for staff. They'd be there when they're collecting the mail. Oh, did you get a note from Stacy? Did you get a note from Stacy? And so that, <laughs> that transformed the whole culture of the office environment. Uh, you know, people would come in, you know, shuffle their, their briefcases or whatever and go to work. And she was there for a couple of months before, you know, we would both observe this and it's like, Stacy, you need to be quiet because everyone's working. But eventually that added to it. But to say that there's people that I got jobs for who are still working and are at retirement point before me uh, is really empowering to me and validates the stories that I can bring to montage and the stories that I can add to montage beyond employment because we're really we're really finding new directions where the core gifts can be used because as an organization we're we're intentional about putting that in in how we go about our work but in terms of actually implementing it we're, we're not there yet and we're very mindful of that um, we so have tell me just so describe a so uh, you're saying you're not there yet so there's always more to do so um, describe a um, describe uh, your organization if it had if it was if gifts were a little more fleshed out. What's what's still missing? What's still left to develop? Well, I think the gift of the COVID isolation and quarantine has started to reveal gifts because I was saying earlier that um, there's so many because people are at home with each other, there's things that are getting done that maybe they weren't, um, not, I wouldn't say allowed to do, but things that they weren't part of the daily routine of a house, of their location where they're living. So now more people are taking a role in what the culture of the house is becoming as opposed to having everything done for them. They're taking a role in their laundry. They're, so it becomes what is the role in your, what is the role of somebody in their house become and their, where they live? And then that, from that starting point that's just happening now, because there are you know, countless inst instances where gifts have been recognized in montage over the years, whether it was identified as a core gift or not, you know, nurturing uh -huh. what somebody has to offer. And even in uh -huh. the simplest terms of, of helping somebody with their morning routine, rather than you know, brushing Bruce's hair and beard, what part of brushing Bruce's hair and beard can he do? You know, so that's acknowledging the gift that they want to be independent, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to being cared for, it's cared with, mm -hmm. <laughs> or uh, participating with somebody. And and we are we're seeing that because it's very visual now. Because when we're doing Zoom, we can see and hear all that's going on in the room. Um, mm -hmm. 
but in terms of because at Montage we are really mindful that we don't want people going to day programs. That's our last resort. You know, many years ago. How come? Because it's it's forcing them into a community of other people with disabilities, whereas opposed to in my community, there happen to be other people with a disability who have the same interests as I do. You know, and as as little as five or six years ago, if you, if you wanted to swim, you would have to go to Variety Village, which is a major athletic center in the city. And now it's okay. I, want, I like swimming, but okay, why isn't the community center or swimming pool in your neighborhood? Why isn't it accessible? Mm-hmm. You know, why do you have to go to a a, a specialized um, arts group for people with disabilities? when there's an arts group happening right in your neighborhood. So it's the community facilitator's role to say, this person's very interested in this and and likes to do this. I may have to be with them to help them navigate the the supplies and things like that. But they live here and they're part of this community. So we've done that. And that reaches out to the broader community. So it's not just, oh, they're at a day program. And the day program system certainly continues to have a place and there are people who really enjoy it, but we use that as a last resort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what about with other employees? You've talked a lot about uh, with the people you're supporting in gifts. So um, is there gifts, are gifts part of the language of the, of the employee culture there too, or is it, or is it mostly you in the employment realm? Um, talking I would say right way. now in, in the formal aspect of the core gifts interview and things like that it's mostly in the employment stream um, we've had some of our staff and managers attend uh, the workshops that you've offered so it's certainly in the the context of what we as an organization have as our mission and identity and what our our values are in terms of how we support people with disabilities um, and it's in, it's an awareness level at this point. Uh, and I think again, when people are spending more time with each other, they're seeing it. So you've talked a lot about using gifts, um, within your, within your work. What about in your non-work life? You, this core gift you have of, of creative cr- creativity and connections between people, how does that get expressed in your life outside of work? I can, I can really say that, um, As early as age seven, I think that's when I started revealing my gift because uh, my my great aunt in Scotland had a bed and breakfast. And a lot of the times at her bed and breakfast, which was fairly large, they do a Cayley night, which is a concert of gathering for fun. So I would go around and like my uncle was like to tell funny stories. So I would assign him uh, reading a poem from a Highland book or something. And my aunt who ran the bed and breakfast, I'd tell her to bake. I was even known for going up to the guests at seven years old and interviewing them to find out what they were good at, what they liked to do. And then I'd say, right, that's what you're doing tonight. Hmm. And this was, in, this was in the Highlands of Scotland. So huh. like that, that, that um, capacity to see something in people that they can offer to others, I think mm-hmm. was always there. So it becomes a point of, of connecting people to others who they wouldn't normally be connected to. So that's where it gets into um, taking a risk that leads to change. Yeah, yeah. Like, who do you know who knows someone who needs to know someone like me who needs to know someone like them? Right? You put it in that sort of context. Mm -hmm. All those layers of of connecting people. 
I mean, it gets mm -hmm. me in trouble. That's not to say it doesn't get me in trouble because I have really good hearing. And in our office setting, I've been known to, rather than say interrupt, I've been known to add to the conversation, <laughs> you know, to, to say to people, oh, I know who you should connect to or I know that person before giving them the chance to do the problem solving themselves or make their own connections. So I'm mm -hmm. very aware the jumping in and wanting to make people connect can bounce back and bite me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Over giving the gift. Yeah. But I mean, when the, when my own gift was realized to me, it's like, oh yeah, I, I, you become super hyper, hyper aware that, yeah, I do do this every day. And that's what, when I made the decision of putting it on my business card, it does translate into, and I try to live up to it by demonstrating it in, in how I relate to people, you know, whether it was the peacemaker as a kid, it's like, well, maybe you should, should talk this through and um, maybe we should, I should introduce you to this person who can help you with that, you know, because I don't always have the answers, but I can navigate them towards somebody who might. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. So we're getting we're getting near the end here, Michael. Michael, is there anything that um, that you didn't get a chance to talk about that you 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 wanted to talk about? Like my brother-in-law, I'm desperate to do the core gifts process with him because he is a very accomplished musician and has received several awards. And in Canadian pop culture, he's right in there with a band that was called Platinum Blonde in the '70s and '80s. But huh. because of his whole world has been the entertainment and music industry. It came to a halt when COVID started. So he's like, and he's, he's in his late fifties now, and it's, what do I do next? And he's almost grasping at these straws that, you know, it's an opportunity I need to grab it, where he's doing the core gifts interview would slow him down to really, okay, what, what's the next thing? What I've been, been doing all through my career that I really love that I can offer to other, the next generation or whatever of, of um, mm -hmm. musicians mm -hmm. and so he's I, I see him and because he's really close to me we're really close I can see him um, sort of reaching in all these directions and trying to pull ideas and it's like what you have to offer is already there let's take the time to find out what that is and I know the mm -hmm. conversation with him will be over a number of beers that that goes without a doubt but <laughs> if that's the context to get him refocused because that's what happened with me six years ago I was at a what next phase, and it was when the moment that that core gifts document from years ago had literally fallen out on the floor, that set a new direction and a stepping stone towards where I am now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's this is a great place to to end our conversation, Michael. It's how you started was that piece of paper dropping out. Yeah. There's, a, there's an old storytelling theory about a circular story. Good stories start at a place and they go in a circle and they come back to that resting place that you started with. So so I think we'll I think we'll end now. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's you have more practical examples, I think, than anybody I've interviewed, Michael. It's it's really good work you're doing. Great. Great talking to you, Bruce. Okay. See you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To hear more podcasts, explore our gift library, or learn about our training opportunities, visit us at www.coregift.org.